As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. All right, so Matt, what smells better than it tastes? <laughs> A lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> A nose. Good, <laughs> good. <laughs> Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the graveyard. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Adam. And my name's Matt. Now, pull up a tombstone or settle into your casket and get comfortable because this is Graveyard Tales. (laughs) All right, everybody, here we are again, Matt. How you doing tonight with the first episode of the first true episode of the new year? I know. First uh first episode of 2022. Man, I tell you what, 2021 just seemed like it flew by to me. It did, dude. It did. I I can't I can't even fathom that it's been a year uh well, one, another year with all this going on. Mm-hmm. And, and two, it just seems like the other day that you know, I was, I was taking a birthday trip. Yeah. You know, in in January. I mean, yep. it's like I felt like I I just did that a few months ago, and it was a year ago. It's time again. I know, man. I know. It's. I don't. I don't understand how it went by so fast. Uh, I blinked, and it was New Year's, and I'm like, oh crap. And then, like you mentioned in the last episode, we're going on, starting basically the fifth year of. Uh-huh graveyard tales here it's insane i don't i don't know how we've gone this long uh we've only gone this long because of everybody listening so thank right. you for right. uh, the five of you that have continued to listen through this <laughs> <laughs> you're like family now yeah exactly <laughs> But uh, real quick, we want to say go check out the Podbelly Network at podbelly.com. You can find some different shows to listen to that you might not run into normally. Um, And you can find some tricks and tips on how to start a podcast and record if you're interested in doing that. Um, Also want to thank tonight's sponsors, Feels and Preply. And we'll talk more about them here shortly. Um, But I'm still stuck, Matt, on this whole it's already 2022 and, and a new, um, a, a new episode for a new year. Um, but why don't we go ahead and get into it? This is a very apropos episode for the new year. Yeah. 
So tonight we're we're going to discuss um, another haunted hotel, but this one is very unique. It's the Drake Hotel in Chicago, Illinois, and it actually opened on New Year's Eve, nineteen twenty. Yep. And a, and another caveat to that is the most famous ghost story associated with the Drake Hotel. The backstory occurred on that opening night. Right. So, as Adam said, it's very apropos for our first show of the year. You know, we're just coming off New Year's Eve. Hope everybody had a nice and and safe holiday. Um, we're going to get right back into uh, what what started us off haunted places. So, uh, so the the history of the Drake Hotel is is interesting. Um, and, and a lot of times, you know, Adam and I will say, you know, the, the history can sometimes be, uh, be more interesting than the actual haunting itself. Mm -hmm. All right, guys, we're going to take a short break and talk about one of tonight's sponsors fields. Now we've talked about using CBD on the show before Adam and I both, uh, are proponents of CBD use for the benefits uh, that it gives you in helping with sleep and anxiety, pain. But Feels is a CBD company that says using their product is a better way to feel better. Feels has premium CBD that keeps your head clear and helps you feel your best. I mean, like I said, CBD has been proven to greatly reduce anxiety, pain, sleeplessness. But it can be difficult because the world of CBD is complicated. But Feels makes the process as simple as possible so you can start feeling better sooner. Are you new to CBD? Are you curious? Feels offers a free CBD hotline to help guide you through the discovery process. That's right. And, you know, like Matt said, CBD naturally helps reduce stress, anxiety, pain, and sleeplessness, and there's no hangover or addiction with it. And I tell you, I use it mainly, not only for the other benefits, but my main reason for taking CBD is I have chronic neck pain. Mm -hmm. And if I don't take CBD daily, my neck will kill me for couple days every week and i end up with a bad headache and I, you know I, it, it incapacitates me that day and i notice when i start taking cbd if i take it on a regular basis i do not have the severity of neck pain mm -hmm. i can make it through yeah and i've not found anything else that does that that's non-addictive that will actually help with the pain so i tell everybody about cbd i'm like look if it helps me yeah. Then I know it can help you out. So I, I spread the word about feels and CBD all the time. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and I take it personally for pain as well. Um, Amanda takes it for insomnia. Um, mm -hmm. And and actually, my, my, my youngest daughter, bless her heart, has to deal with terrible anxiety. And it does wonders for her to be able to relax and calm down and not worry about so much stuff so that you know she can still be a kid right and and the difference between 
all those CBD products that you just seem like are falling off the shelves in your face when you go into stores nowadays, feels is different because it works. It, right. It and works. You you know that, like you said, there there's these CBD products everywhere. You had to put CBD in quotes. CBD is a broad spectrum of things and a lot of these companies do just hemp and there's not any CBD so you're getting hemp oil mm-hmm. with feel CBD you know you're getting the actual CBD in there and like Matt was saying all you do is place a few drops of feels under your tongue and you can feel the difference within minutes mm-hmm. and the thing to remember is that CBD is different for everybody so finding the right dose for you is the important part and feels, I, I love the fact that feels has so many different options, so many different strengths that you can get it mm-hmm. in. And using their hotline that Matt mentioned, you can talk to somebody to find out what works best for you. And you can join the feels monthly membership, which makes self-care easy. You'll save money on every order and you can pause or cancel at any time, which is the best way to have a subscription if you can pause or cancel in case you run out of money that month and just can't do it. Right. So Graveyard Tales listeners can become a member today by going to feels.com. That's F-E-A-L-S dot com slash grave, G-R-A-V-E. And you'll get 50% off your first order with free shipping. That's right. That's feels, F-E-A-L-S dot com slash grave, G-R-A-V-E. And you can become a member and get 50% automatically taken off your first order with free shipping. Feels.com slash grave. But uh, Adam's going to Adam's gonna explain the history of the Drake Hotel to us. So take it off. All right. Take it off. Take it off is what I said. Well. Instead of. Take it away. <laughs> you know, taking it off would make for a much more interesting Patreon <laughs> episode. Um, and we might actually get more Patreon subscribers if we started taking it off every segment. So I'm not I'm not so sure. <laughs> we might get less. We, we might lose some. <laughs> <laughs> That's a valid point. It's a risk I'm not willing to take. I was going to say, we're not going to try it either way, but, you know. Um, but as we always say, go check our sources down at the bottom of the show notes. You can find where we found this information. You can follow along or continue the research if you would like. We like to give credit to the people who have done the research before us because all Matt and I can do is compile the research that other people have done who are actually there. And uh, so we like to give credit to those people who have done that. Um, Down at the bottom of the show notes, go check it out. Now, the Drake Hotel is located on 140 East Walton Place in Chicago, Illinois. Um, So if you're around there or know of it, then stop by check it out i know matt has said he's walked past it before not been uh, in yeah, it. i walked past it I, I i didn't go in i should have gone in but that should was have 20 something years ago so true all right so this this that i've got here comes from the drake hotels historical documents and a historic hotels website kind of compiled all the information together 
So this says it was conceptualized by famed architect Benjamin Howard Marshall. Uh, The Drake Hotel came to fruition when John B. Drake and Tracy Corey Drake financed the project in 1919. And as Matt said, the doors of the Drake Hotel opened on New Year's Eve the following year to 2,000 of Chicago's most distinguished citizens. And I will finish out my part of the research with a list of some of the famous people who have stayed here. It's wild how many of these like high profile people have stayed here. Oh, yeah. And, and, and when when we say high profile, this isn't like, uh, you know, this this guy was on an episode of Cheers. Mm-hmm. You know, he played he played customer number two. No. Right. These, these are seriously high profile people. Yeah, we're not talking. Well, Zach Bagan stopped in for an evening. <laughs> you know, we're talking actual famous people. Um, so let's talk about the architecture for a minute here. The architect, Benjamin Howard Marshall, like I mentioned, mainly used Italian Renaissance revival style as the source of his inspiration when he built the Drake Hotel. Um, on he, And he built it, like I said, on behalf of the Drake brothers. Italian Renaissance revival architecture itself is a subset of a much larger group of styles known simply as Renaissance revival which is among the most ubiquitous in America, this says. Sometimes referred to as neo-Renaissance, Renaissance revival architecture is a group of architecture revival styles that originally date back to the 19th century. Now, neither Grecian nor Gothic in appearance, Renaissance revival style architecture drew inspiration from a wide range of structural motifs found throughout early modern Western Europe. Architects in France and Italy were the first to embrace the artistic movement. Uh, They saw the architectural forms of European Renaissance as an opportunity to reinvigorate a sense of civic pride through their communities. So those intellectuals incorporated the colonnades and low-pitched roofs of Renaissance-era buildings with the characteristics of Mannerist and Baroque-themed architecture. It says perhaps the greatest structural component to a Renaissance revival style building involved the installation of a grand staircase in vein in a vein similar to those located at the Chateau de Blau and the Chateau de Chambord in France. Um, I know I pronounced those wrong, but I tried. <laughs> I think you're close. I I feel like I was close, but I felt dumber things too. So. Um, <laughs> It, this says this particular feature served as a central focal point for the design, often directing guests to a magnificent lobby or exterior courtyard. Yet the nebulous nature of Renaissance revival architecture meant that its appearance varied widely across Europe and North America. So basically, it's saying a lot of the older architecture that you see is this Renaissance revival style and. 90% of them or more have a grand staircase in the center of the lobby or somewhere. And how many hotels and buildings have we discussed that have this grand staircase going up there? And there's usually a haunting with the staircase. Yeah, it is that, that liminal space that in between. Yep. Um, and so many of these hotels had it. I mean, yep. it was just, it, it was, when you walked into the lobby, it was what they 
wanted to draw your attention. Right. Right. And it did. Now, this goes on to say that throughout the Roaring Twenties, the Drake became high society's first choice in opulence. The Fountain Court, now known as the Palm Court, hosted Chicago's social elite uh, every day for tea and a continuing tradition at the Drake. So they still do that, apparently. It says the popularity of the illustrious urban resort continued to rise well into the 1930s, seemingly unaffected by the crash of 1929. Now, this says that icons such as Bing Crosby, Walt Disney, and George Gershwin could be seen sipping a cocktail and listening to Herbie Kay in the Gold Coast Room. So that's a few of the ones, the high-profile people that stayed there. Now, it says in 1932, the Cape Cod Room became Chicago's first choice for fresh fish and seafood and the nation's first themed restaurant. Now, 20 years later, seen laughing over drink, uh, over drinks, newlyweds Marilyn Monroe and Joe DiMaggio would carve their iconic initials into the bar's world-famous wooden counter. So, that's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Now, on December 6, 1933, the day after Prohibition was repealed, um, Coke d'Or opened uh, to the favor of thirsty patrons eager to purchase a 40-cent whiskey. Why can't I find a 40-cent whiskey that's any good? <laughs> There's no such thing anymore. That's a good point. I bet it wasn't any good back then either. They just thought it was. Oh, it was probably terrible. Yeah, it was... Just after Prohibition, it was bathtub whiskey. For yeah, sure. no kidding. Radiator whiskey. Now, it says in the 1940s, it became a local hangout for reporters, politicians, and even some notorious characters, though it never lost the true Chicago crowd. One of Al Capone's most infamous associates, Frances- Francesco Nito, even operated an office out of the Drake Hotel. And that's just... One of the ones that we know about, there supposedly were a lot of other gangsters of the time that spent evenings or weeks there. So it it was a real hub for that kind of stuff in Chicago. Yeah. What about though? Uh, oh, oh, Francisco's last name. It's pretty. It's pretty neat, isn't it? It's pretty neato. It's yeah. neato. <laughs> How did I see that coming? <laughs> Now, it says in 1940, the Drake sign was illuminated, so solidifying the hotel's rightful place in the most internationally recognized skyline. The 40s proved to be a decade of colossal change, both at the Drake and around the world. The Palm Court changed seasonally to accommodate the changing palette of the sophisticated patrons. In the winter, to set the holiday tone, the fountain was replaced with a 2,000-pound fireplace. In the summer, to get the cool lake breeze, the ceiling was open and the fountain was filled with fresh water. Wait, they replaced the an enormous fountain mm-hmm. with an enormous fireplace. Yep, and then switched it back. Switched it back. Yep, they did it seasonally. And that that was in the forties. Yeah, I that w- that would be amazing to me now. I know, I know, but. I don't know how they did it, and I don't know why they thought it was a good idea, but it well, apparently I mean, how drew cool people would that in. Be? 
you walk into this really awesome hotel and it's got this big enormous fireplace i mean I, i'll be honest you know right you know right after right around the holidays you go to the gaylord hotel in nashville which used yeah. to be the opryland hotel they've got that enormous fireplace that you can like actually look through and see the other side yeah um yeah. it's really cool and inviting it's cold outside and uh you know, it's cool. I can understand how how that would be appealing in the winter months, especially in Chicago. Yeah, in um, Chicago in the forties when the the heat probably wasn't that good. The, exactly. So yeah, that's kind of cool. But then to be able to switch it back to a, a actual working fountain and open the ceiling. Yeah, an opening ceiling. How? I mean, that is crazy for that yep. time. You want to talk about I opulence? Say, I in say a hotel. that, and we're gonna have we're gonna have a listener who's an architect, and he's gonna be like, "Oh, they came up with that, you know, in the late 1800s. Hey, there were all kinds of buildings with ceilings that opened in in 1641, you know." Yeah. <laughs> wait a minute. Yeah, wait right. a minute. Wait. Wait a minute. Oh. You, know, you like, got to remember we, though, we're dummies. So that's right. <laughs> this is know, amazing I, to I'm us. I'm certainly not an architect nor a student <laughs> of architecture. Right. You know, I, I thought it was amazingly impressive when they started building stadiums with retractable roofs in the last 10 or 15 years. Yeah, no you kidding. Know, so no I was like, kidding. if they had that kind of technology, why didn't they do that all along? Right, right. <laughs> well, the, the Drake had a monopoly on it, and they wouldn't let anybody else do it until <laughs> it. it got into the, the 2000s, and then their uh, copyright wore off. Yeah. Now, this goes on to say, uh, real change happened on site as the political climate in Chicago transformed over the span of the mid 20th century. It says, indeed, even the hotel's iconic skyline was crowded by the more modern appearance of the John Hancock Center. In 1980, Hilton International acquired the Drake Hotel and restored it to its former glory. It ultimately invested millions into its complete restoration, installing additional facilities that included a conference venue and a fitness center. Even the decor received a makeover with all new furnishings placed inside each one of the Drake Hotel's historic accommodations. A member of Historic Hotels of America since 2016, the Drake Hotel today continues to provide the same celebrated hospitality that made it a cherished local landmark long ago. Though the Drake has progressed both architecturally and technologically, the roots of the Drake Hotel run deep beneath its home near Chicago's Magnificent Mile. So, speaking of where it sits, Magnificent Mile, we need to look at the location that it was built on, just kind of get a little history of that area. And uh, this is still from the Historic Hotels site. It says, long before it would become the heart of downtown, uh, downtown Chicago, Michigan Avenue was once just an ordinary city thoroughfare. Originally known as Pine Street, the road only ran the length of Lake Michigan's shoreline from the city's southern border to the Chicago River when it first debuted in the mid-19th century. Nevertheless, some areas of Pine Street were among the best places to live in the entire metropolis with dozens of beautiful manors and townhouses lining long sections of the road. I'd, I'd say that's probably true today. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that that view, honestly, that view of Lake Michigan. Um, oh, that's got to be great. From, I've from never the, been there, but. It is. I mean, we've, we've talked, when we talked about Great Lakes before, it, it's really hard if you don't live near one to 
to understand yeah. because it's a lake technically how big it really is. But when you're there, it honestly, you, when you look out on the, on the Lake Michigan from there, it looks like you're looking at the ocean. Yeah. You can't okay? see the other side of it. No, I mean, you can't, but you can see enormous ships that you wouldn't expect to see on a lake that you would expect to see, you know, out on the, out on the ocean. Yeah. The Gulf of um, Mexico or something. Yeah. So it, it is kind of a, it's, it's one of those things that it's, it's like, it's like those, uh, those pictures of, of a guy standing next to a traffic light. Mm-hmm. You really don't understand because of your perspective, how big those things are yeah. until you see something that puts it in perspective. And that's kind of how I was the first time I went to Chicago and I was riding down along, um, you know, the coast there. And I was just like, this is unbelievable. So, I mean, you know, this gives you an idea of where this hotel was and just how, how it, um, it, it attracted the luxurious society because this was, this was hot stuff right. to be right down there with that kind of view and, and all, all the business and everything that, that would have would have lined that that street right there on the on the coast yeah shore or whatever i guess it's a shore shore a yeah lake. yeah yeah this says that a few municipal structures also open to specifically warehouses and factories now among the most iconic city structures built were a gorgeous water tower and pumping station you don't hear that often gorgeous water tower and pumping station <laughs> Yeah, they usually don't make those all that attractive. No, you usually hear crap. They opened a pumping station. Mm-hmm. Not oh, they opened a pumping. That's cool. Yeah, got a playground and a yeah. snack bar and everything, and a water tower. Look at that. It says sadly, much of Pine Street was destroyed amid the Great Chicago Fire of 1871, save for a couple historic structures like the iconic water tower. Now, it would not be until two architects named Daniel Burnham and Edward H. Bennett submitted plans for the city's complete renovation that Pine Street's potential uh, potential redevelopment became a real possibility. At the behest of the Commercial Club of Chicago, both Burnham and Bennett began devising a series of integrated projects that ultimately sought to improve Chicago's waterfront and downtown core. One of the particular regions of Chicago that attracted their attention was the dilapidated Pine Street. Burnham and Bennett specifically called for its rehabilitation into a sprawling center of local commerce. They envisioned many ornate buildings straddling the revived Pine Street, which would be filled with all kinds of storefronts and office spaces. Furthermore, they called for uh, for Pine Street to be widened considerably in order to grant access to the new forms of mass transit that were now proliferating through Chicago. While local business business leaders formed the Greater North Michigan Avenue Association as a way to fund the plan in 1912, actual construction along Pine Street did not truly commence until the onset of the Roaring Twenties. So right about the same time that the hotel was coming up is when all of that really took off. It says, By this point, a massive boom in commercial building projects was transpiring all over the Chicago shoreline, with Pine Street becoming one of the main focal points for the construction. Transformed into a new sprawling boulevard called Michigan Avenue, 
Many kinds of new structures appeared along the revitalized corridor that displayed an amazing breadth of architectural styles. Some of Chicago's most iconic landmarks debuted along Michigan Avenue, including Tribune Tower, the Women's Athletic Club, and the Wrigley Building. All right, everybody, let's take a second and talk about a new sponsor to Graveyard Tales, and that's Preply. Now, buenas noches y bienvenido al cementerio. Now, some of you will know what I just said, uh, especially if you used Preply to learn Spanish. I did, and Preply is the best platform to learn a new language. The difference a good teacher makes is immeasurable. The attention to detail, instant feedback, passion, nothing beats it. If you're the kind of person who learns best from another person and want to learn a new language, then it's time to discover Preply, and that's me. The the tutoring of Preply is what really helps, because you can read it all day long and not understand it, but if you have a tutor sitting there with you and saying, nope, you didn't say that right, or just conversing with you, in a new language that really helps and you know sure being self-taught works in some areas like making a new recipe fixing the toilet or you know keeping plants alive you you can do that on your own but have you ever tried to learn a new language without talking to an expert tutor forget it you need preply preply helps you learn to confidently speak any language through live one-on-one sessions with real expert tutors. Self-guided learning can be challenging to stick with and most language learning apps are one size fits all, okay? Plus in-person learning can be expensive and complicated at best. Yep. With Preply, you discover a tutor and an interactive learning platform where learning becomes a passion instead of homework. Preply's one-on-one approach with 50,000 expert tutors from over 203 countries is your ticket to mastering any language you choose. From immersing yourself in a new culture to succeeding in your career or simply getting unstuck on a word you don't understand, Preply teaches you to speak a new language naturally. The cool part about it, Matt, is you get to pick your tutor. Right. You can go on and pick from, you pick the language you want to learn, and then you can go pick whichever tutor you want based on their portfolio and and their their bona fides that they put up there. You're like, hey, this person, this guy, this gal is going to be best for me and get going that way. Yeah. And here's what one student had to say about Preply. My French tutor is excellent. She is very willing to adjust her teaching style and lessons to my weekly requests and needs. I get a lot out of each lesson, and my confidence in conversing in French has increased greatly after only three lessons. So book a private tutor today at preply.com slash grave, that's G-R-A-V-E, and get 50% off your first lesson for a limited time. Learn languages online with the world's best tutors for half off at P-R-E-P-L-Y dot com slash grave. That's preply.com slash grave. That's right. Book a private tutor today at preply.com slash grave. P-R-E-P-L-Y dot com 
slash G-R-A-V-E, and you can get 50% off your first lesson for a limited time. Engineers even connected the thoroughfare to the rest of Chicago by way of the double-decked... Y'all will have to tell me, is it DuSable Bridge or DuSable? Um, It may be DuSable. DuSable. One of those names. um, They put that up. The DuSable, 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 whatever bridge. Um, (laughs) DuSable! Unfortunately, the onset of the Great Depression abruptly brought an end to the work occurring all over Michigan Avenue. Construction would only resume due to the efforts of another noted Chicago-based real estate developer named Arthur Rubloff. I thought that was interesting. It's not Rudolph like your last name. It's Rubloff. Rubloff. So maybe I'll start. Yeah, maybe I'll start calling you Rubloff. Matt (laughs) Rubloff. Now, in 1947, Rubloff specifically launched a targeted campaign to reignite the creation of ornate skyscrapers through his affiliation with the Great North Michigan Avenue Association. He even sponsored a brilliant series of plans presented by the renowned architecture architectural firm Hollabird and Root to craft many new outstanding structures. But perhaps the most telling legacy of Rubloff's was the moniker he bestowed upon the revitalized thoroughfare upon witnessing the wealth of gorgeous buildings that had appeared along the avenue he decided to christen the location as the magnificent mile the building projects continued unabated for many years thereafter in which they constructed such renowned landmarks as a celebrated john hancock center michigan avenue has since remained a fixture in downtown chicago attracting countless visitors each year due to its wide variety of upscale storefronts, eloquent restaurants, and fascinating cultural attractions. So, really cool. Yeah, yeah, super cool. So, real quick, let's look at some of the famous guests who stayed at the Drake here before we hand it off to Matt um, and see if maybe we run across any of these people a little later. Um, Bing Crosby, like we talked about, yeah, Elizabeth Taylor, Marilyn Monroe, who I, I guess carved her initials into that bar. Who's a, you know, she vandalized it. I know. Dang vandal. Um, <laughs> Dean Martin, Judy Garland, Frank Sinatra, Walt Disney stayed there. George Gershwin, the composer, composer, the composer stayed there. He probably had composure too as a composer. I'm sure. Yeah. Uh Charles Lindbergh, Joe DiMaggio, Winston Churchill, Prince Charles, Queen Elizabeth, Princess Diana, Herbert Hoover, Dwight Eisenhower, Gerald Ford, and Ronald Reagan. All Wait, all the presidents that have stayed there. Yeah. Yep. Well, that I mean that that is it's pretty impressive. And like I said, the building itself is quite impressive and it and it's old. So oh, yeah. it, it, I mean, it's not as old as some places we've talked about, but for the United States, it's a pretty old building. Um, and it's been through some renovations. So they definitely kicked up some dust and probably a few spirits along with it. Oh, now, sure. It's, it's interesting about the hauntings because there's, there, there's not many 
But one thing I always go for when I when I'm researching a place that's supposedly haunted is do they have any recurrent spirits that are you know they have a description there's an apparition and it and it happens over and over again where it gets yeah. it gets a campy little name from the staff or from visitors or or whatnot um it's not a one off yeah the the unique thing about the drake hotel as opposed to other haunted hotels that we've talked about is there's not really any of that just oddball occurrences so mm-hmm. you think about the the haunted hotels we've talked to in the past, whether they were old, 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 or whether they were fairly modern, we see a lot of the same covers being pulled off. Feels like someone's sitting on my bed, doorknobs jingling, doors slamming. Here's somebody walking in the middle of the night. Nobody's in the hallway. Those mm-hmm. kind of things. Um, and, and those are all fun, but we see them a lot. The, the Drake really doesn't have a lot of that going on. In fact, right. I dug pretty deep trying to find just some personal experiences uh trip advisor which is one of my favorite places to look yeah uh, i love of, looking there out of over five thousand reviews none of them mentioned hauntings ghosts anything like that and that's wild that it is weird because did. that is one of the places where if you want to get somebody's just just average joe their take on whatever happened while they were in a haunted hotel mm-hmm. TripAdvisor is one of the best places to look oh sure yeah okay because people will say you know hey we we heard this place was haunted so we took you know we decided to stay there on our trip to whatever and you know the you you get those stories and they're they're great it's unfiltered um, unedited it's just right. somebody telling what happened i was shocked that i there was nothing nothing yeah. like that that's crazy. But the stories, the ghost stories are are very cool. Even if they're not the the actual sightings and experiences are not as commonplace where you know you, you could probably stay at the Drake a hundred times and never catch any of these. Mm-hmm. Um but the stories, at least for two of them, the stories behind the hauntings are really interesting and and in some cases gruesome um that kind of makes you understand okay yeah i could see where this would cause a spirit to linger around yeah so one of those stories is the woman in black now we always say (laughs) a lot of these places have a woman in whatever color dress yep well you know the drake has two of them um, this one happens to be the woman in black. So woman in black, woman in white, woman in red, yeah. woman in gray or the gray lady. Yeah. Or something like that. Why is it never like the woman in chartreuse? You know, that's a, that's a good point. Maybe the, the spirit world hates chartreuse. <laughs> the man in periwinkle pants. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll be the man in plaid. He looks like a lumberjack. What's going on? This must be a spirit who grew up in the 90s. This. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. You know, he shopped at Abercrombie and Fitch. <laughs> yeah. I get every time the ghost appears, it, it smells like an Abercrombie and Fitch store. I don't understand. <laughs> what. Oh, they pump that in. Yeah. 
It smells like Axe body spray. What? Hey, why? You know what? It's the funniest side. When when Amanda and I were uh, were were early in in dating, she told me just in passing how much she liked the smell of Abercrombie and Fitch in the store. Hmm. So what do I do? Okay, I go and I and I try to purchase, you know, the the fragrance. Mm-hmm. You know, they they sell cologne and everything. And so I'm looking at none of them smell like this. So I ask, what is the smell? Yeah. What's the smell in the <laughs> store, you know? And they said, uh, oh, that's that's a special blend that they pump in through the ventilation system. I was like, oh, so it's not like you're using it as a marketing tool for your cologne or whatever. No, no, no. It's completely different. I was like, oh, well, okay. You know? yeah, so I just wandered around the store for about 20 minutes yeah. before I met her. So I would kind of smell. Like- <laughs> there you go. Just every date you go rub yourself on all like, the clothes in the store. You smell good. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had no idea they did that. I, yeah. It's like, I guess, Walt Disney, they pump in the smell of baked bread and baked cookies. So yeah, why not? You know, smells are strong. But anyway, yep. we, we, we digress heavily. As always. So. The story behind the woman in black. So popular socialite Adele Bourne Williams was murdered in the Drake Hotel in 1944. Now, Adele was the wife of a well-known State Department attache. So Adele and her daughter were, were returning to their eighth floor room, and they noticed that the door was unlocked. So inside... As the story goes, they found a gray-haired woman in a black Persian lamb coat who had been hiding in the bathroom. So without saying anything, the woman reached in her purse and pulled out an antique pistol and fired two shots at Williams and her daughter. Oh, wow. But she missed. But she came out of the bathroom and fired several shots directly at Mrs. Williams, eventually hitting her in the head. Yeah. causing a wound that would eventually take her life. Now, the the fur coat woman uh, walked out of the room and was seen by a couple of men before uh, William's daughter cried out for help. Now, several other people also saw this woman fleeing the scene. However, the case is still unsolved. Oh, wow. So police launched a massive search of the hotel and found nothing. However, four hours later, the murder weapon was found broken in a stairwell that apparently uh, it it looked like somebody had dropped it from a high floor, like Hmm. threw it down like a a, a stairwell. And when it hit, it just it just broke into pieces. But police said they had already searched that area. So the gun apparently had been returned to the scene of the crime. Huh. Now, yeah. Now, also, a spare key to Adele Williams's room had been reported missing from the front desk at the time of the murder. But mysteriously, it appeared back on the desk at 10 o'clock that evening. So somebody had the key. Yeah. And and brought it back along with the gun. Who does that? It's crazy to me that nobody 
saw anything. Saw nothing. Yeah. And yeah. it makes me think, could that person have worked there? Could mm. the fur coat lady have worked there? And that's why right. she could go around unnoticed and yep. throw the gun, put the key back and all that stuff. Exactly. Now, the motive was unclear as well. No jewelry or valuables were taken. And Mrs. Williams had a $100,000 in cash in a safe deposit box. That's a so, lot of money. So the thought was, at least my thought, maybe she was paying someone off. Yeah. Maybe, maybe she was being blackmailed. But Mrs. Williams herself seemed to have been a little strange. So I, someone who commented on the original version of the story remembered being a small child and living close to Mrs. Williams and seeing her running out of the house uh, in, uh, in like peach colored pajamas, butt you know, naked. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, and the word at the time was that she had some, you know, mental health issues, but again, that could have just been a rumor. Yeah. Well, and around that time, mental health issues, were they they weren't accepted socially yeah i was I mean, gonna say just, it it could have been anything and yeah. they just said oh she's got a, a mental health issue yeah call call it what it is you know they y you had some kind of defect yeah if if you had a mental health problem no matter what it was right so right those things were kept very quiet and for somebody to start a rumor about someone having a, a mental health problem then, oh, that, that could be devastating to your... So Now, we're talking about, you know, the 40s, okay? Mm -hmm. um, but but also, you know, there's no there was no Twitter, no Facebook, Instagram. People didn't see these socialites. Simpler these, times. Yeah, these well-to-do people. So, rumors was what they had. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, you think about it in the... You know, think about how popular the headlines of the National Enquirer were in the 80s. Right. Um, because that's what we we didn't see, um, you know, those people every day if we wanted to, like mm -hmm. you can now. Well, and even now you've got things like TMZ, which is mm -hmm. super popular. And it's like, why do you need to watch TMZ? You've got just go look online and you can see what they're doing. Yeah. But one of the theories that emerged um, was that there never was a woman in a fur coat and that Mrs. Williams' daughter, then uh, she was known as Mrs. Goodbody, had shot her mother herself in the midst of a fight over the gun. Now, there was a police lieutenant named Quinn who was sure that that's exactly what happened and alleged that there was no call for help that had been made until 10 or 15 minutes after the shooting. Now the witnesses refuted this because they did actually see someone leave the room and heard Mrs. Williams daughter call for help. Right. Right. Now the theory that Quinn had arrived on was that the killing had either been an accident in the midst of a struggle. Um, after the daughter announced her intention to kill herself, where that came from, I don't know. It kind of come out of the blue. I didn't see That's anything else about this, about Miss Goodbody being suicidal or anything like that. Um, or he thought that it had all been plea, uh, plea 
been pre-planned by Mrs. Goodbody and her father, and that the reason the gun wasn't found right away was that the father-slash-ex-husband, who certainly would have heard about the shooting before the police did, because he would have been the daughter's first call, Hmm. had smuggled the, the gun out. But again, why the hell would you bring it back? Yeah. Yeah. If you've smuggled it out, why bring it back? There's better ways of disposing of it than throwing it back in the crime scene. There's a great lake nearby. You could get rid of it in that, that huge body of water. Yeah. But according to this theory, Mrs. Williams was annoyed at her daughter for some reason and was planning on writing her out of the will. So she's mad. So what are you going to do? Well, I'm going to kill her. So I can, I'm still in the will. Yeah. Okay. It sounds like, it sounds like a movie of the week. Yeah, no joke. But since the gunshot did not kill Mrs. Williams right away, she was able to speak to a few people who rushed to her side. She said the shooter was a woman in black with a rose in her hair and that it was no one she knew. And she was later quoted as saying that the shooter had said, I will get you yet. And that she thought the woman was firing blanks. Look, if somebody pulls a gun on me, I don't immediately assume they're firing blanks. No. (laughs) Other witnesses also described a mysterious woman in black with something red in her hair fleeing the scene. Now, um, we're going to get into the hauntings here just a second, but I want to say this. There is a lot more about this case. Okay. And it is fascinating because there were more suspects. There were more connections to different people. So what we're going to do is we're going to do a Patreon episode where we just discuss this case. That'll be cool. Okay. Not as a haunting, but as an unsolved murder from the 1940s, because you will be shocked all the things the police were able to connect and yet not come up with a a viable suspect that they could charge. Mm -hmm. Okay. It wasn't that they didn't have suspects. They had suspects. They just didn't have anybody that they had enough evidence to charge. Yeah. Yeah. Really interesting. So I like doing a little true crime uh, bonus episodes anyway. So that'll be really cool. Yeah. And th- this one will be cool. So again, if if you're not if you're not a Patreon a Patreon member yet, um, you know, jump in there if you want to hear a little bit more about this particular case. Mm-hmm. But how does this case relate to hauntings? Now, there are other strange things about this case. Like I said, um, like the fact that this antique gun was used as the murder weapon and then returned. Um, but I was no, wondering why it was antique like that. That was a weird I don't know. Thing it made a, it, they made a point of that. But. But none of none of those strange things would speak to why the ghost of the murderer and not the victim would be haunting the eighth floor. Yeah. Yeah. So on the eighth floor where Mrs. Williams room was, there have been reports from guests of an apparition of a woman in black. Um, so the idea for you know, people that are into the, you know, paranormal stuff like we are, is that what we're looking at when you see the apparition of the woman in black is, is like this woman's spirit is trapped there to forever flee the scene of her crime. 
So when they see her, she's moving away from the room on the eighth floor like she's leaving the scene. So that makes sense. It makes sense. I just it's odd because you would really think Miss Williams uh, spirit would be the one haunting at least that room that she died in. It's not really the case. There's no there's no activity that's directly associated with Miss Williams. It's just this apparition of the woman in black. It could be that, you know, the the act of murder, the violent act of murder and the energy that was released during that combined with maybe this woman's regret, remorse, whatever, uh, trapped her there, trapped her Uh spirit there or forced her to come back to that spot after death in some karmic type yeah thing yeah you, that's right yeah you develop such bad karma you have to replay this over and over again in death yeah, yeah. there's a lot of a lot of theories about that but um as i said at the beginning of this sometimes the history is is often gr- more gruesome and terrifying than any haunting that you would see and that's the case of 14 year old bobby franks Now, in May 1924, Bobby Franks was kidnapped and murdered by Nathan Frudenthal Leopold Jr. and Richard Albert Loeb. That first guy had quite a long name. Quite a long name. But they're referred to as Leopold and Loeb collectively. And you've probably heard when they're talking about, you know, famous court cases, things like that. You'll hear like Leopold and Loeb, you know, or that's that's this is what case they're referring to okay so leopold and loeb were students at the university of chicago with this twisted conception that they were what nietzsche referred to as supermen supermen are individuals with higher intelligence and extraordinary capabilities that somehow transcend above laws and ethics that govern general society and can leap tall buildings in a single yeah yeah so by this defi- definition, a Superman could do whatever they wanted. They could not be held accountable for anything they do. Not, they just aren't. They, they couldn't be because they're huh. so much more intelligent than everybody else that they've, laws don't apply. Okay. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Interesting now, that you would think you were that kind of person. I know. I know what what would be your trigger other than just not not being right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know. Yeah. But but this warped idea led Leopold and Loeb to devise a plan for the perfect crime. And it the plan included every single aspect of the crime from disposal of the body, from the you know who the victim would be, what time of day, where they would do it, everything. So they even used a stolen typewriter to write the ransom note. And and by the way, the ransom note was a red herring to throw people off track because they had no intention of actually procuring a ransom. Their hmm. intent was to kill Bobby Franks from the beginning. Yeah. Which that's funny to me, uh, funny strange because if they truly believed in all that Nietzsche that they'd been studying, they would have just committed the murder in broad daylight without any fear of prosecution at all. 
Sure. Yeah. Because if that was the way it worked, then they could have just done whatever they wanted and nobody would have done anything. Right. So again, you ask, what does this have to do with the Drake hotel? The murder didn't occur there. Um, the Franks did not wish to be that couple whose child was murdered with people gawking and whispering, you know, every time Mm -hmm. they turned around. So they left their home and moved into the Drake hotel where they would spend the rest of their lives. Now, Bobby's father died of a heart attack in 1928 and his mother died just five years later, both died in the hotel and both have been reported to have been seen wandering the Drake. So there is an apparition or apparitions of a couple, sometimes individually, sometimes together, uh, wandering through the hotel, supposedly still mourning the loss of their child. Huh. So, again, I mean, not a lot of talk about the actual haunting, but the story behind it is incredible. Yeah. And the fact that it not only do you have that story, but then you do have some haunting activity or some residual activity that's associated with that. Yeah. Because we hear a lot of times a residual quote-unquote haunting that you can't place an actual event to. Right. Or we hear, here's a horrific event, but there's no residual haunting or anything to it. Yeah. These, you've got two violent events that actually lead into some type of residual haunting. Mm Mm-hmm. All right, everybody. Now, as a fan of the supernatural, thrillers, and all things horror, this is the greatest month ever. Why? Because Shudder's released the most amazing shows, and I can't get enough. With Shudder, you can stream supernatural, thriller, and horror movies and TV shows across all of your favorite devices. Shudder's streaming library has just about everything, from original movies like VHS 94... The Boy Behind the Door, and PG Psycho Gorman, to the hit series Creep Show by executive producer Greg Nicotero of The Walking Dead. If you're a fan of old classics or looking for the next classic, you're going to love Shudder's collection from around the world. They've got The Wicker Man, Blood on Satan's Claw, and the all-new movie The Last Thing Mary Saw, and so much more. And Shudder has just released an exclusive documentary called Woodlands Dark and Days Bewitched. It's the ultimate history of the folk horror genre. Now, you know we've discussed a discovery of witches before, which you can find on Shudder. And one of the things that I like the most about Discovery of Witches is that it covers all of the different topics that we discuss. It's got fae, it's got witches... It's got any of those supernatural creatures and all that on there. So we highly recommend A Discovery of Witches. And the new season premieres January 8th. So you you can get in on it now. If you haven't started it, go start it. And they've got a new season coming out now. So you can stream all of this and more from Shudder's ever-growing library ad-free for just $5.99 a month. 
Now, like I said, if you're a fan of supernatural, thriller, and all things horror, you're going to love Shudder as much as we do. And right now, you can stream your first 30 days of Shudder for free. That's free, guys. Free for 30 days. All you got to do is go to Shudder.com and use our promo code GRAVE. That's S-H-U-D-D-E-R.com and use our code GRAVE, G-R-A-V-E, to stream your first 30 days of Shudder for free. Shudder.com, code GRAVE. And, and they're not hearsay. Mm-hmm. They're, they're actual documented events. Right, right. And, you know, the, much like the case of the woman in black, the, the Bobby Frank's case is, is quite interesting. There was, you know, they, how they caught Leopold and Loeb is, is really cool. Um, my advice I'm not going to do it yet. Another Patreon on this case. It's it's not as interesting as the other one. Uh, but my advice would be, if you haven't ever looked at this, go back and look because you, you remember, you know, when, when this occurred and how the police were able to piece things together yep. to come up with a suspect, you know, and I mean, it, it, it fascinates it, me uh, how they, they can do that. Like now we're like, oh yeah, they get DNA. Yeah. They get blood, whatever you go so many decades back. And it's like, how did you, how did you pin it to this person? How yeah. did you find that evidence and, and, you know, actually be able to prove it was this person. That's yeah. fascinating. I'll give you, I'll, I'll give you just a tidbit of it. Okay. Which, which I thought was so cool. So they found a pair of glasses at, the scene where they found Bobby Franks, body, which was in a culvert. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, again, if you're able to get away with anything because you're so smart, uh, you know, why should you even have to hide the body? Right. It, right. it almost, it almost says they didn't believe what they were trying to make themselves no. believe. But anyway, no. so they found a pair of glasses there. Now the frames and the prescription of the glasses was extraordinarily common but they had this particular pair of glasses had a very special hinge okay it was very unique and it had to be special ordered and only three people in the area had ordered glasses with that hinge and one of oh, those wild one of those was uh Leopold. And so that's how they made the connection. Now, of course, you know, he said, oh, I was out bird watching a week ago and I must have dropped them. Of course. You know that. I mean, that's that's amazing to me. They were able to piece that together. That would amaze me if it happened today. Yeah. You know, they were able to. It's some CSI stuff. Yeah. To, you pin it on somebody with a hinge, a special hinge. Yeah. How do I you mean, even think to look at a hinge? And I mean, you know, this is 1924. I mean, I just, I just, it, yep. when I was doing this, I was like, this is so cool. Um, oh, yeah. 
But as, as we said at the beginning, the most famous ghost story about the Drake Hotel has got to be the woman in red. Okay. Lady in red. <laughs> that Sorry. song was in my head. <laughs> the whole research. Yeah. <laughs> so according to legend, this is the ghost of a woman who caught her husband cheating at the New Year's Eve party in 1920. Just after the hotel first opened, and she threw herself from a 10th floor window. Yep. This is the, the case that spurred this whole episode. That's right. That's right. We, we talked about this on another uh, Patreon episode, mm-hmm. and it brought up, hey, well, let's look into the Drake. And so here we go. Yep. Um, and it's gonna and it's gonna prompt another Patreon episode, which is pretty cool. I don't think we've ever had that. No. Um, but uh, if this suicide actually happened, it it didn't make the papers because huh. there's really nothing to verify the story. I mean, you think a woman that jumped off the tenth floor of a brand new hotel on New Year's Eve, um, that somebody would take notice of that. I mean, yeah, that, that's just not so. something that happens every day. Um, there was a former model who jumped from the 10th floor window, but she was a little bit older and the, the papers back then described her as being once beautiful because that's hard. Media called it like they saw it back Mm -hmm. then. There was no sugar coating. It it was a punch to the gut every time. That's harsh. And this also happened decades after the hotel had already opened. So it's not the same case. Now, guests at the Drake say that they still encounter the lady in red roaming the halls on the 10th floor. But she can also be seen uh, hanging out near the Gold Coast room and the Palm Court. Um, But, you know, even even if uh, even if we can't verify the story of this woman's suicide, it is the most famous story that's associated. It's the one you will most likely hear uh, if you're planning a trip to Chicago and looking at staying at the Drake hotel. This is the one that's, this is their headliner. Okay. Mm -hmm. And, and the writer of the article that of one of the articles that I was reading about the lady in red, he made an interesting point. Um, If you look at the, the style of, the Drake hotel, it's got, um, I can't remember what that is called. It's where here's the main lobby ground floor. Maybe it goes up three, three or four stories. Okay. But then the rest of the hotel kind of goes up on the sides and behind it. So there is a, the lobby essentially has three floors, but then the rest of the hotel keeps going on up. Does that make sense to you? If you look at a picture, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about because the swimming pool was up there. Yeah. Okay. So if she jumped out and landed there and not on the sidewalk, there's a really good possibility that either no one saw it until she was found or, um, only guests that would have been milling around that area at the party would have seen. Mm -hmm. And it would have been much easier to keep quiet. And of course, a a woman committing suicide by jumping out of the window of a brand new hotel in downtown Chicago, that's not good PR. No, that's something you want to keep out of the paper. So there's a possibility that it did happen and it happened in a way where 
hotel the hotel owners could cover it up and yep. and keep it from leaking out um so there there's always you know there's always that possibility that's a good possibility yeah but that's about it as far as hauntings go for the drake hotel fantastic stories um yep. really good backstories you know we we hear similar stories but you know, the fact that there's two that are historically documented and they have hauntings that are affiliated with those stories, that's cool enough, you know, for me. Right. You know, I, I, I don't necessarily have to have somebody come and sit on the side of my bed while I'm sleeping. I would probably <laughs> prefer that that not happen. Um, yeah. You know, yanking the covers off or jiggling my door in the middle of the night. Um, but just the, the idea of of possibly being able to catch a glimpse of of one of these spirits um would would be pretty cool yeah it's certainly not the scariest um place Mm -hmm. we've talked about but the history just of the area and the history of the hotel with the murders and the 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 tangential murder where the the a uh, kid was killed elsewhere, and then they came there to live the rest of their life there. That's amazing. There, There's a lot of cool history behind it and a lot of interesting unsolvedness to it. And like Matt said, if you if you want to hear more about the unsolvedness of the yeah. case, join our Patreon here in the next week or so. Yeah, absolutely. So, um. This is the point where we kind of tell you, ask you, what do you think? Um, mm-hmm. We also ask that if if you've ever been to the Drake Hotel, uh, if you've had an experience there, we would love to hear it. And one of the best places to share that is in our Facebook group. Uh, we have, goodness, I think over 6,000 members now. It is yep. one of the most active groups I've ever been a part of. Fantastic people. You can come in and share your personal experiences and no one's going to make fun of you. No one's going to say, ah, that's baloney. Everybody just wants to hear these really cool stories. Okay. Yep. And especially Adam and I, um, but you can also find us on Twitter and on Instagram. Just go and search graveyard tales and you can check out our website, which is graveyardpodcast.com. Uh, on the website, you can find links to purchase graveyard tales, merchandise. You can listen to the show. And you can become a patron, which is where you, if you want to hear the the rest of the story related to the Bobby Fran- uh, the the woman in black, um, then by all means, that is where you need to go uh, and follow that link. And we appreciate the donations to the show because it really does help us going. Oh yeah, and you can find that link in the show notes there. Uh, just click on it, and it should take you straight to our Patreon. Yep. So until next time, we'll save you a seat in the graveyard. See you soon.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.